Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's upcoming game against the Toronto Raptors and kind of just some backstory leading up to this game. Kind of ridiculous what's been going on in um, Toronto's front and really just the entire league. So I'll be breaking that down and then just what to expect entering the game. But just starting off with the backstory we have here, this is pretty pretty spicy. And it all started yesterday when the NBA fined two teams, the San Antonio Spurs and the Toronto Raptors, for violating player resting policy. Now, if we're just going to be honest here, I feel like the Oklahoma City Thunder, if they if there was any team to be fined, they might be atop that list because we have seen guys bounce in and out of the rotation for resting purposes like all season long. It happened with Lou Dort during his maintenance phase. You can kind of go back to just anybody you want on the roster. There was probably a game where they were just resting because they could. I know SGA, he kind of was factored in there maybe a little bit to begin the year. Not all that often. You know, I think when he originally had his um, his knee injury, the recovery time got kind of lengthened just a little bit. And now with the plantar fasciitis, he's probably going to be gone for a long time. But during that frame, he was kind of gone a little bit longer than anticipated. I think that kind of is a bit off the, the resting trend. But it's definitely happened with our grouping. And all you have to look at is one man to tell. We probably have the most violations if there were going to be violations we're all over this al horford has not played since the all-star game and he's not gonna play for us he's not even listed on injury reports at this point he is now like a trevor reza or myers leonard where he's not with the team he's in oklahoma city and you know he'll practice with them but he's not playing in any more games and the reason why it's because we don't want him out on the floor. He's 34 years old, taking up $27.5 million this year. Next year, going to be just like it. I mean, he's got this year and two more tacked onto his deal. He's taking up a lot of money, and we're not playing him because we don't want to. We want to play Moses Brown, and we want to play Tony Bradley. It makes sense, but when you're talking you know, tanking violations and abusing the, the rest, you know, rest label... We are definitely doing it with Al Horford, and I think when it happened, there were people kind of calling it out as BS. You know, you kind of side with them, but, you know, coming from our frame, our perspective, we kind of know that ultimately, if Al Horford would have been taking up 26, 28 minutes a game, he'd be hindering Moses Brown as well as Tony Bradley. I mean, let's just be real here. If Al Horford was getting his minutes that he was getting before the All-Star break, I don't even think we know Tony Bradley was a rotational piece on the roster. There just would not be enough time to split across Brown and Bradley because once we had Bradley, Moses Brown had already established himself as a beast. I mean, we were genuinely thinking that he was going to be averaging double-doubles every single game at a high clip. He's still doing that, like he's posting the numbers, maybe dipped down a little bit, but that opportunity never would have even happened. Us thinking he could be a potential future center for us wouldn't have happened if Al Horford got his time. And the same goes with Tony Bradley. Like like I mentioned, if we picked him up, he would have been nothing more than a third string center who never got his time. He would have looked the exact same as he did with the Jazz and 76ers. Now he's getting time and look at what he's doing right now. He has been one of the hottest players 
on a roster. And hey, he might be looking at a second contract. I don't know if it's with the Thunder or someone else, but it looks like he's going to be able to play at the next level in the NBA for just a little bit longer. I don't think he's moving on to another league come this offseason, but we wouldn't have known that had it not been for Al Horford. So it's a net positive for us, but when you're breaking down how this would kind of work, it looks really bad because Al Horford was one of our really like top three, four guys before he ended up getting rested, and now he's just not even an asset. It's kind of weird how it works. Like I feel like if you had it with a guy like Ariza where he was dealing with issues or Myers Leonard where he seriously was dealing with issues, you get a pass, but there was no pinpoint reason for Horford outside of, hey, we don't want to play you anymore. Take your $27 million and have fun. You can just chill at home. And that's what happened. What we're seeing now, it's not like that. I don't think there's been any other players in the league just shoot away from a pretty decent role for no good reason other than we want to try other people out on the roster. But there's still occasions, and we've seen an uptick now, where players are getting pulled from one to two games, just kind of out of nowhere, make it a little bit silent so you don't end up noticing the league that is, and you're good to go. You're going to collect a probably a loss or two there, and hey, you're going to look good in the lottery. And the reason is because I've talked about it all this week, and it's something I'm going to be talking about all year long until we're done with the regular season. This lottery race is probably more competitive than the actual playoff race is right now. All these teams are so bunched together, and we have so many different teams. We're talking 1 through 10 kind of clashing in the next couple weeks that every single advantage, potentially, you're almost pulling away. We got bench units fighting bench units. We saw it with the Pistons in our last game. They didn't want to play Grant. They didn't want to play Mason Plumley. You think Hamadou Diallo is going to go for 20 points? Not giving him the chance. Dennis Smith Jr., gone. We had to get Josh Jackson to play like an all-star for them to even win that game. So the lengths that teams are going to right now are serious. And the Toronto Raptors, they're right up that alley right now. In their last game against the Orlando Magic, they ended up pulling really just all of their top players. You had Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam out for resting purposes. OG Ananobi, he was ruled out for rest, but they actually changed it like last second. He wasn't ruled as being out for rest. He was out with a knee injury. And then Gary Trent Jr., he was gone with an ankle injury. So that's about four out of your top five guys. I don't know if you'd want to slot Van Vliet in there. Actually, you obviously slot Van Vliet in there. He got Chris Boucher on the outside, but that's about your primary starting unit. So they just had their whole entire bench squaring off against these guys. And even the funniest part about this was they ended up winning their game. Like they got their bench guys to produce at a very, very high level. And they got two career highs out of Paul Watson and Utah Watanbe, the guy who got dunked on by Anthony Edwards and had to go into hiding for like a day or two. Yeah, that guy. They went over for 20 points. I think Watson might have even eclipsed 30. It was a wild game for them, and 
I don't know if that tells you more about their roster, the Magics, but, you know, it's a little bit interesting. And nothing's really changing heading into this game, and that's why I think it's kind of something we need to highlight here. Three out of those four guys that I listed in Lowry, Siakam, Trent Jr., and Ananobi, they're still going to be gone, and, you know, you kind of tinkered with it in the injury report as to why they're gone, but we all know it's for resting purposes. So Kyle Lowry, he's still gone due to rest. Pascal Siakam, he's ruled out for left shoulder inflammation. OG Ananobi, he's still gone. He's out with left calf soreness. And Gary Trent Jr., he's actually going to be playing, which, you know, as a Thunder fan, and if you're kind of on that tank train right now, that's probably the best possible guy that is, you know, going to be cleared because he dropped 40 points, I think, in the last week. Whenever we ended up playing the Raptors, whenever we won by like 10, yeah, I think it was 10 points, like 113 to 103, Gary Trent Jr. was an absolute problem. So that's the guy you obviously would want to have on the floor for them. But to just kind of neutralize it and maybe balance it out, they're going to take away one of their other top scorers in Fred Van Vliet. He's going to be gone with a left hip injury. And to top it all off, they got Jalen Harris out with a right hip injury. So five guys are going to be out due to injury. And out of those five, I mean, four of them are kind of their mainstays in the roster. So... They did the same thing as the Pistons, where you're just gutting everybody out. You know, whether it's your hip or your inflammation on your shoulder, hell, you just need some more sleep. In the case of Kyle Lowry, they're all pulled from the game, and now you're looking at a contest where, once again, the Oklahoma City Thunder might actually have an advantage because their lineup really just consists of Gary Trent Jr., Chris Boucher, and then you fill it all out with just bench players. I mean, Rodney Hood, he's been good. Aaron Baines, Stanley Johnson. As I talked about, the two crazy guys who went off in the last one, Paul Watson and Utah Watambi, they're there. But are they really going to go off for two games in a row? I don't know if you really want to go there just yet. So they're drained. And for the Thunders front, like, they still have guys out. But the only person who blatantly is being rested for no good reason is Al Horford right now. Like, you can't stack the list up. The current injury list has SGA out. We know with plantar fasciitis, he's going to be a done deal for a little bit. He might return for like the last week or two, but you don't even want to go into that scenario just yet. Pokashevsky, he's listed as probable for the game, so if he doesn't play, we know why. I think he's missed the last two. Yeah, yeah, two games, and then like most of the the Philly game due to his right arm soreness. And then behind him, you have Lou Dort, who, you know what, this one might actually be like a flip the coin. Maybe this is another kind of BS call by Sam Presti and management here because he's questionable with a right hip strain. I don't know, though, because he has kind of had the, the heavy-duty lifting for the team. So maybe something did get jacked up with the hip. Ah. I think the questionable kind of gives them some um, some variety of options come tip-off, but he could questionably be out. And then you have Mike Muscala and Josh Hall who are out. With Muscala, it's an ankle injury. I think he's also just been told he's done for the year. And then with Josh Hall, yeah, he's just straight up out right now. Also, you got Gabriel Deck. 
and he is still trying to get his visa, go through immigration and all that. So there's no, you know, why is he not playing? He just straight up can't play. He's not even in the United States right now. So we'll see what happens with him. He doesn't have a debut date set. So if we get to a point where he never shows up and he gets around $4 million, good on him, man. I mean, we don't know how fast the immigration process will work for him, but we're kind of, we kind of have a ticking clock here on how many games are left on the schedule. We'll see if he's able to sneak in a couple ones, but I don't know. I mean, we don't have any signs on what's going to happen, but he may just strut out, play like nine, 10 games and walk out with a gigantic check heading into next year. So we don't know, but yeah, I mean, just looking at that injury report, the only guys that are kind of like questionable, it's going to be Lou Dort, maybe Poku as well. I think he was actually slated to maybe play like Mark Dagnall was talking to the media and he is actually anticipating it, but we don't have him as fully available yet. So you can't make that conclusion right now. If the game were to start as expected, Maladone would be at the one, Lou Dort would be at the two, Poku at the three, Bays at the four, and Moses Brown would round the lineup out at the five. But that has two contingencies on it because of Lou Dort and Alexei Pogashevsky. If those guys are out, you're going to see players like Kenrich Williams and Isaiah Roby fill those spots up in all likelihood. I think Dort is the one right now that has a little bit more questionable um status on him so if he's out you're gonna make some really just makeshift lineup and isaiah roby would be in there so what happens does roby become the two is poku the two is Bayes? i don't think Bayes would be the two but you know it, it gives a little bit of diversity and some options for mark dagnall to work with you don't really know though i think on paper this team would probably stomp the toronto raptors but you have to keep in mind that they do have Gary Trent Jr. And they had a bench that just completely dominated against the Orlando Magic. And then you also think, you know, the Thunder with Dort last game couldn't even beat the Pistons. That was about as watered down as you could get it without having to take a uh, $25,000 tab from Adam Silver. But, you know, it's it's just one of those deals where... It's the NBA. Anything can happen. With our squad, there's a lot of random factors that can kind of go into games, and this is just going to be one of them. Just kind of looking at what a potential starting unit for them could be, it's a little bit weird to kind of boggle together, but this is just piecing what we saw um, against them versus the Magic, and then obviously Gary Trent Jr., when him with him starting, he's going to be taking up that two spot. So Malachi Flynn is is probably going to have a major role. Gary Trent, Paul Watson, Boucher, and Kem Birch just got him from the Orlando Magic. And then Utes is probably going to play big-time minutes as well. That is not a particularly strong lineup. And I think Oklahoma City's also, you know, they haven't played amazing. Like, they're, they're nine games down the hole right now. Lost all of them by big numbers. But... I still think that the Thunder probably have an edge against that grouping. Like, Gary Trent, whenever he plays against the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's not really Gary Trent. I mean, that's kind of a facade for him. He is on another level when he plays against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, he's always destined to get around 30 points. You can put Lou Dort on him. You can put whoever you want on him. He's still going to make his shots. When he was with the Portland Trailblazers and CJ McCollum was out, Yusuf Nurkic was out, 
it didn't matter. He was going to be right there and fill that void. You had Anthony Simons as well kind of help out there too. But Gary Trent was kind of the main punch. I don't know if I'd call him better like over Damian Lillard in those games. But when you were watching on television, I guess maybe it's due to knowing Damian Lillard's always destined to drop 25 plus. But Gary Trent was always the man popping out. And in their last game where they lost to us by 10, Gary Trent Jr. was still kind of the whole entire show for them. And now when you're talking, they don't have Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam, OG Ananobi. Of course, he's going to be the number one option. You're going to be force feeding him the ball, letting him play open shoot around damn near. He'll be going around screens. He can even try to attack the basket, but watch out for that pull-up shot. He's pretty dangerous when it comes to pull-ups, and it's from threes and twos as well. He will get a high ball screen from Kem Birch or from Chris Boucher, and he's going to be going. If we don't see Bradley or Moses Brown stepping up, he will be practically playing like a Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell type, where he'll just go around a screen, stop, pop, and you got two points almost automatically. Now, whenever we saw Donovan Mitchell against the Thunder this week, it was a little bit different because Lou Dort was on him and every single screen, you saw him bouncing right back up. There was no way Donovan Mitchell was going to be allowed to take a shot. Now, whenever you didn't have Dort in the lineup, Donovan Mitchell got to any spot he wanted to. And we saw attempts at hedging from both Bradley and Brown, but it's just not simply good enough. And I think the real threat here is if we don't have Lou Dort in the rotation, and you do one of these wild lineups where maybe a Ty Jerome, Kenrich Williams, or Isaiah Roby would be filling in his spot, you're not going to get the same success you're getting from Dort. Like, it's just not a style of performance you can replicate. I mean, let's just be real here. Dort is one of the top perimeter defenders in the whole entire league right now, and you take him out, you can put in a guy like Kendrick Williams who will stand up, but is he going to be able to take rep after rep going over a screen from a Birch, Boucher, or even an Aaron Baines? Probably not, and when you get someone like a Brown or Bradley stuck down low, you're going to be done for, and even if they're trying to help out a little bit, and Trent takes the initiative to slash. It's also going to hurt. Another issue that we've seen with both Brown, I think Brown more than Bradley, to be honest, but we'll get a high ball screen. Someone will set a high ball screen for someone who likes attacking the rim. You know, one of your guards, and they'll just get right into open space. They're operating freely, getting inside the free throw line, just driving through the middle of the lane, and they just have a wide open floater. Like, Moses Brown will be stuck really just in between, like he's not playing completely back, he's trying to maybe hedge or just buy some time for his guard, but it just never works, and he'll get stuck in no man's land to where someone will get off a runner, and it's just not able to get blocked, like he'll be close to it because he has like a seven foot four inch wingspan, but he doesn't ever come close to it, like he's not snagging it or snatching it really at a high enough rate, so that's something that can kind of screw you over, and that's something that we saw, especially when Dort was gone. It's kind of been minimized since we've seen him. But if you take him out of the rotation, that's where the gashes kind of start getting exposed. And that's the key player. I think if you get Lou Dort in this game, it's a much different contest. You're going to see a much more disciplined Thunder lineup. I think also offensively, the way he's been driven thus far, he's the number one option if he's playing tonight. If you don't see him playing, it's going to be 
kind of all over the place. We don't know if it's going to be Teo's turn. Baisley's going to be the number one guy. If Poku's playing, how is he going to mash up with everybody? There's a lot of question marks. If you get Dort in, there's no sense of questions. And I think you will see Dort probably locking up Gary Trent. And then you're looking at players like Paul Watson for 30 points. And there's nothing against Paul Watson. Like, I'm sure he could probably drop double digits against us tonight. And just anybody could because that's just how things have been for the Thunder. But I don't want to completely bet on that. I think that their only source of reliable offense right now probably comes in... Gary Trent Jr. And then when you look more extensively into the list, maybe a Chris Boucher, that's really their one-two punch. But beyond that, you're kind of left a little bit dreary. And with the Thunder, they have so many different options who can kill you in a lot of different areas of the floor. But it's a little bit too inconsistent to completely rule all these guys as, oh yeah, they're going to be able to score 10 points against these guys. We don't know that. But there's a good heap of players, even with SGA, and Dort or Poku potentially out that can punish a defense. I think that in our last game, we saw Darius Baisley as an elite finisher around the basket. That's what he's looked like since he's returned, but he, he only shot one of 10 from three. If he can make his threes, and just as a collective, if we can make our threes, we're winning this game. We shot around 18% against the Pistons I think it was like 7 of 37 or 7 of 38 it was really really bad for us and it wasn't like our looks were poor or anything like we had the open looks we just never were able to make them and we had too many mistakes I think we had 21 22 turnovers we only had 19 assists and when you have more turnovers than you do have assists there's really not a high chance of you winning the game. The only reason it was close is we closed out the fourth frame really, really well defensively. And also, that's where we started sinking our threes. We had a four-point play from Dort. And then Roby hit a three with about 10 seconds left in the game. But beyond that, when you're looking as how the team did as a whole, it wasn't that amazing. And the only reason we were close was because of that last stretch and also the Detroit Pistons, they didn't really play particularly well either. Now, looking at the at the game, it didn't really appear that way because they won, but it wasn't pretty. I think they barely shot over 25% from three, and they shot around the same number of attempts as us. The reason they won was they were getting to the free throw line, and you had guys like Isaiah Stewart jawing at the rebounds every single game or every single time. And it was just an issue for us. So if you're going in a pecking order of what needs to be done for the Thunder to win this game, it's got to be handling the ball safely. And it's also got to be stretching the floor out. We've seen guys just go ballistic from downtown. We have not seen it in this streak. You get someone back in the sink. It could just be one or two guys. And you're completely changing the script here. If you got wishy-washy offense against the Raptors or just anyone in general, I don't care if you're playing the Kyle Singers of the world, they're just the role players, okay? You're going to have problems if you can't make the perimeter three right now. And I know we've had a sanctuary inside, and we could probably still work Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, and Aaron Baines down there, but you need to be able to stretch the floor in case it gets dried up, because that's what happened against the Pistons, and that was ultimately what our downfall was in the game. So get the three rolling, make sure to stay limited on the turnovers, keep the ball just out of everyone's hands, keep it moving hot potato until you find the open look. And then on defense, just make sure you're tightening up on Gary Trent Jr. I think you shut him down. That's your superstar. I think for them, that's their superstar at least. 
and you force it into other players' hands, make the Paul Watsons and the Utah Watambis be the stars in the game, and hey, if they go up post 30 points, give them a handshake, tell them good job, they deserve it, but I don't know if it's a, it's a done deal that they'd be dropping that many points, so lock down Gary Trent, probably good if you're making things uh, go well on offense. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.